Hello and welcome to the Hockey Hurts Podcast for February 19th of 2016. I'm Ryan Wilson. I'm Cameron Walsh. And this week we will be talking about um, the suspensions and lack thereof in certain cases around the league. Uh, We'll talk about Dennis Weidman, the appeal process, and, and Gary Bettman's thoughts about concussions or the lack thereof again. Uh, the P.K. Subban situation we will also uh, talk about in Montreal and somehow another team blaming their, their best player. Uh, Stamkos will not be traded. Uh, we'll briefly touch that. And then for uh, probably the, the last half of the podcast, or, or potentially more, we'll, we'll see how long this one goes, <laughs> is um, trade targets. For the approaching trade deadline, so there are certainly a lot of options there to talk about, and um, you know we talked about a few names, but honestly, me and Cam have no no damn clue where that discussion is going to lead. We kind of laughed about that beforehand, so uh, we're just going to make it up as we go. <laughs> yeah, pretty much. So we'll start with suspensions. Cam, you you haven't liked some of the stuff that's been going on. Why don't you? Uh... Oh, I just. I suppose you get there and you mention the the Bettman thought process in regards to concussions, right? If you if you base the whole point of coming up with a Department of Player Safety because of that pending concussion lawsuit, Bettman's stance in regards to the repetitive hitting doesn't have that link to CTE. That statement that he made. Why even bother having a Department of Player Safety anyway? Because it's the repeated... Like, you look at poor old Ryan Madonna. Like, what Komarov did to him there was was cheap and wrong and shit like that doesn't happen if you have strong punishments in place. Because if you're going to go for a check and you're going to miss it by that much, do you have to flick your wing out to try and make sure you make some form of contact anywhere on the body, then learn how to throw a body check, right, and get punished for doing something like that. Like, you know, everyone knows I'm not a massive fan of the Rangers, but Ryan Madonna is a really good hockey player, and you want him on the ice because he makes the game better. And doing something like this is just ridiculous. And until the league looks at it seriously in regards to the product on the ice being negated because good players, it's never bad players that get these whacks in the head either. If you notice that, it's usually bad players doing it to good players. And and that's the problem because the good players are getting taken off the ice and the product becomes less. So I, I can't get my head around all these people saying the game's getting soft and it's a physical game, you should still be able to hit... I still want to see all those things, but you've still got to do it between the freaking knees and the shoulders. They're the target areas you can go and hit someone. And and, and anything below that or, or uh, above above those areas is, is where you start to get into trouble. And I don't think it's asking too much for professional athletes to be able to do it in that body zone. Or at least, you know put punishments in place to where at least they're second guessing. Maybe they're not sure they can hit that spot, but now they're, they're taking the chance that they will. And if they miss, so what? Whereas maybe they won't engage in a potentially dangerous hit knowing, Hey, if I miss, uh Oh, I'm going to lose best, a lot of money. 
the best thing about the Weidman suspension, it's over five, it's almost 600 grand he loses to this suspension if it's upheld, right? For that 20 games. So you get there with that. And it's one of the things that I've done with the suspension table that we've got at Hockey Hurts is to factor in more money on the hip pocket of the players. It's like if you if you get there and complain that this sport is a business and you want to change behaviour, hit them where it hurts. So even if you only suspend them for two games, but give them a, a freaking two hundred and fifty grand fine with the suspension, it's like get them to forfeit that, then see if they're going to change their behaviour. Because Radko Gudis over the last three weeks. It's like he's been on a mission to try and get suspended. He's getting closer and closer and closer, and it's going to take him decapitating someone or absolutely destroying someone into the boards illegally for the league to do anything about it. And then you'll have everybody sitting there writing going, you could see this coming, you could see this coming. Why didn't anything happen? And it's it, it's that Neanderthal thought process of it's a man's game and, and you, you've got to have physicality. Yeah, you do, but you've still got to do it legally. And if you're not going to get there with that threat of, because Gudis doesn't make a truckload of money, if you're not going to get there with that threat that you're going to lose a quarter of your pay for the year because you go and do something stupid on the ice, why would Gudis even bother changing? He hasn't. Hmm. And the, I think the kind of funny part of it all is Weidman is the 20 game suspension and and there's a decent enough argument that says he probably didn't even know what the hell he was doing at the time because he got clocked in the head. Oh, this is the thing. I am all I am all for him being concussed in that moment when he hit the official, right? I am all for it. What I am not for is using that as a defense to say that's why I extended my arms and I cross-checked the official in the back. That's the thing that that's the thing that I, I can't I can't fathom the whole. I guarantee whole, he had no idea what he was doing. You 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 legitimately think that that cross check with that force was done without him going? I shouldn't like. That's the thing that I don't get. It, I don't like, think been, there was a thought process. And I, okay, so if you're going to say you don't think there was a thought process, that's fine. I don't think that comes from the concussion. I, I don't think. I, I do. I think he was in a cloud that there was no higher level thought process going on right then and there. He skated by, he saw a fast muscle twitch from a ref, and he just reacted and shoved whatever was there in the direction of the stimulus that was in that general area. Either way, I still think he should have Neither of us are ever going to know for sure, but honestly, for real... You see black and white <laughs> vertical stripes, <laughs> and and you shove them. There's no chance. What player in the right mind would do that? Well, Even in all the crazy stories throughout the NHL, has there ever been really a, a full-on referee assault? No, no, no. You're so right, Dennis Weidman's going to be the first, the guy with no history. Yeah, no, and and look, that 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 definitely clambers into his argument for. Look, dudes, I didn't really mean to do this. I can, I can, I can get that aspect of it, but well, his just... his his text messages aren't helping him. No, but the the veracity upon which he and the ferociousness upon which he threw that cross check out to me isn't that wasn't a reflexive defensive action of shit. I'm about to run into someone. 
that that to me is the problem I have I have with that. It's like if you're not with it, normally it's about protecting yourself, not going out there and being aggressive. So I get the argument that it's not in his nature to do this and that you can say, oh, look, I, I was concussed. I wasn't sure what I was doing, all that sort of stuff. But that still doesn't mean you can do what he did and he should get suspended for it. And it should be 20 games because you don't want anything like this to happen again. That official's not got back on the ice yet. And in fact, he doesn't have two days without symptoms from a bad back and concussion symptoms. So it's like... Yeah, but it has to be 20 games because that's how the league got pinned in. They can't admit yeah. that a concussion was a problem there. They didn't go through any kind of protocol with him. They admitted that concussions, or they claim concussions aren't linked to CTE. Gary Bettman is going to continue to make statements like that until the concussion lawsuit is settled. He can't go yeah. off of that position, and no, none of the no, decisions exactly. the NHL makes can contradict that, or else there are hundreds of millions of dollars at stake. I don't think for a second Gary Bettman believes there's no connection, but publicly he has no choice if he wants to win a lawsuit. Yeah, it's the corner are, they're in. Once, once that, once that lawsuit came down, his language changed dramatically to lawyer talk in the sense of we have to have this line of, of vocalization on this topic the rest of the way. You're right until that lawsuit gets done. So. They're handcuffed, I suppose. But why can't we see a why can't we see a twenty game suspension for uh, a hit to the head on a player? Because I, I, I don't think that it's dangerous. You know, I just I read when I read through Twitter about the Komarov hit and people go, oh, you know, it's the first time he's up, but he'll get heavily he'll get dealt a heavy suspension. Three games is not a heavy suspension. And they go, you know, three games, it sounds about right and all that stuff. It's like three three games is not a heavy suspension. It is for the system that we're currently working within. Three games is a lot for the Department of Player Safety to give out for a first-time offender. But that's not going to change Komarov's actions. It doesn't punish him in any way. He gets three games off. Um, he forfeits a little bit of money. Um, but it's not going to stop him from doing what he's doing. It doesn't, it doesn't give his coach any impetus to get there and go, dude, you can't do that. But the coach will be fine to, to walk that fine line of play on the edge and, and, and be physical and, and, and careless because it's only going to cost me three games, particularly in a year that doesn't make a rat's ass a difference for Toronto whatsoever. Yeah, I agree with everything you just said. <sighs> Sorry for the rant. No, that's, that's why we're here. <laughs> Got to get it off my chest. Um, okay, let's move on from this before I explode again onto something else that's similar. All right. Um, Montreal Canadiens' best player is their biggest problem, apparently. <laughs> Which one? The one that's on the ice or the one that's off the ice? Well, I happen to think the one that's on the ice is better than the other one, but that's a different conversation. Um, For another day, yeah. Yeah, Subban must be all his fault, huh? You can see why Michelle Therrien got run out of town in Pittsburgh, can't you? Mm-hmm. And he had a he had a more talented 
team at the time as well. And he's got an awful lot out of this particular roster, but you cannot and should not publicly humiliate your one dynamic player you've got on that team. They've got some good players, but he is the most dynamic player on that team by a long stretch. Well, it's a coach that knows his ass is getting kicked to the curb, so what does it matter anyways? Hey, look, as long as the general manager isn't stupid enough to do something stupid and and trade him, like whispers came out on Twitter, yes, that's fine. He can say what he likes, and he's going to get canned at the end of the year, and, and that's probably the best thing Bergevin can do. He might as well just go in to keep the bad coach, have the team tank, get a really good pick, get the goalie back next year, and away they go. But do not get pushed into trading a player of Subban's talent. I don't think even Bergevin has the authority to do something like that. I don't think ownership would let that go down. Well, they, they shouldn't. They should be smart enough to... to <laughs> you say that, but then you never know, do you? Yeah, but this plays into the, to, to the larger picture that... For some reason, teams' better players get blamed for the team not being better instead of, you know, focusing on the bad players. I know it's a weird concept, but... It's that, it's that same concept that I've sort of come to realize watching the Penguins year, year, year after year not proceed through the playoffs like you'd like. It's not the top-end talent that's falling apart. It's the bottom-end talent totally sucking ass that's the issue. So that's the difference between uh, Pittsburgh Penguins not becoming the dynasty that everyone expected and Chicago Blackhawks becoming the dynasty that everyone thought that they could be because they got the depth in there to balance it out. When the great guys aren't great 10 out of 10 games, you do need depth players to to fill those holes. And Chicago have done brilliantly at, at... creating that environment for them. Yeah, in Montreal, you know, their depth could be better, like much other, many other teams, but they're, they're actually, they've played okay this year. We've discussed at length on, on the goaltending stuff. But Subban is, like, the stats with him on the ice versus off him are so drastic for Montreal uh, you know, it's like Carlson in Ottawa. The guy makes plays when he's out there. And people will choose to remember the mistake and just totally, you know, disregard all the great things because you start taking them for granted. Yep. I think, I, I think almost, I find it, I find it funny that Subban cops this flack from the Canadian fans, but I don't hear anything like this for someone like Duncan Keith or for Drew Doughty. You hear it in Pittsburgh for Latang. You hear it in Ottawa with Carlson. Like, I don't understand why some of these guys get away with making the same errors and other players get absolutely canned out for it. I don't, I don't understand where that comes from. I don't get where... Duncan Keith makes the same sort of errors that Eric Carlson makes. But it doesn't happen as frequently because the, the, the puck's not on his stick as frequently as Carlson. So I don't I don't understand why they get away with these 
errors, whereas, you know, Carlson, Subban get absolutely torn to shreds when they do something like this. It's amazing. Dowdy and Keith are Canadian boys. So is Subban! <laughs> sort of. Not in, a, not in that perceived way. Uh, yep, I went there. Uh, <laughs> it's true. It really does feel like a racist sport at times. Latang? Um, Francophone? Yeah. Carlson? European? Yeah. It's funny the examples you used, and it, and it cut right down that line. It does. It, it, it really does run down that line. And once again, they are narratives pushed by old school media who are too lazy to look at just simple numbers and actually think a little bit. They'd rather just push this stuff on to the fans, and the fans suck it up. So I don't know. I don't know whether it's a circular problem in that the the fans in some of these markets need to expand their brain a little bit to try and learn a little bit more about hockey, or whether it's um, the media needs to grow up and actually start looking at things a little bit differently and try and um, look at the sport in a different context than what they do. And I bring this all the way across to the Edmonton Oilers in regards to the TV coverage that they offer and what they try and and pushes things that the team needs, and it's almost the complete opposite of the direction the league's heading in. And you sit there and go, there's the reason why the Oilers can't get any better, because the people that are covering the sport are pushing this garbage out into the public, and then the Oilers organisation basically does what the public want, um, because you want to keep the people happy that come in the seats, and that's why they keep stumbling. So you can get there and and blame the general managers that have gone through before Chair Alley, and, and rightfully so, but there is an environment in that hockey market that really needs to be changed, and, and changing the, the people presenting it would certainly help. And it's not just Edmonton, because I read a tweet today um, that quoted um, Rajon Tremblay from the Journal of Montreal, and here's the passage I, I read, and it, I'll tie this into Michael Terry and after it. There wasn't one francophone in the lineup of the Montreal Canadiens Wednesday night in Colorado. This might have already happened in the glorious history of the team, but I can't remember it. I always saw a Maurice Richard, a Jean Beliveau, a Vincent Dampus, a Patrice Brisebois in a Canadiens jersey. The campaign started by Bob Ganey, Pierre Gaultier, and Trevor Timmons to eradicate the frogs saw its final solution. Francophones. There were none playing for the team in this loss to Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> like Montreal, <laughs> Montreal is just as bad with this stuff from the opposite perspective. Jesus Christ! Okay, that is that is how you land a coach like Michael Terrian. Does not matter. Unreal. That's how you get a coach like Terrian because they won't look past. Now, I paid closer attention to this because Randy Cunnyworth. Um, has been the Rochester Americans coach for a very long time. I used to play men's league against him for a number of years when he was the, the Amherst head coach. So when he got hired from Montreal, I was like, Oh, all right. Um, you know, I'll follow this. 
And yeah. they, they treated him like absolute shit because he didn't speak French. <laughs> it was absurd. Yeah. And I'm not saying he did like a, a good coaching job because he probably didn't. But my word, like they would rather have Michael Terrian totally drag their team and drag their team down um, from the. So you make the argument that who's actually running the club? Is it the French media or is it the general manager? That's pretty much what. That's pretty much where you head to when you get to that situation where if they're going to sit there and say you've got to have a francophone on the team and you've got to have a francophone goddamn coach, we don't give a toss whether he's a shit coach or not. We just want to be able to talk to him in our native tongue. It's like fuck that. This is a business. You just you can't do that shit. If you expect that team to be any good, you can't hold them to ransom like that. You got to take responsibility and say, well, we want these these things in the team. Well, the general manager can't construct the best roster because we've got all these caveats in regards to what we have to have on the roster, you're never going to get the best team in there. Tarion loves playing De Harnay and he stinks. Hmm. Yeah, two Frankenfoes looking out for each other and look where it gets them. So this is um, from both sides of the coin. I know I use the uh, opposite example for your defenseman, but it's happening both ways and, and, and in both circumstances, people are just losing out. Yeah. By... by uh, narrowing the scope of what you're looking at, basing things and prejudice on silly things that don't really matter. I just nationality of a player does not make a rat's ass a difference. If you did that, then Alexander Ovechkin wouldn't be who he is. You know, Anze Kopitar would be no good. The Sedin twins would be useless. I, it's just, it's, just it's getting better. <laughs> it's getting better. Um, Less people start growing up with Don Cherry um, having a, a voice, so to speak, uh, because before the internet, like kids like me, Don Cherry was like that was one of the few kind of Hell, personalities. Rockham Sockham was all I had. I had to find videos of Rockham Sockham where I was like the 13, 14, and 15. And, I have at and least 10 of them. I bought off eBay. I just, I've, I've got no idea who this lunatic is, but God, his worldview is bizarre. But his videos were quite good to watch when you were a kid. I bought into his crap as a kid. Why would I think otherwise? There was no, you know, that other side wasn't really available. The broadcasts were all former players, mostly North American. And that's, that's where the media need to work this out. They want people to pay, subscription pay, for stuff to read or to watch. They're going to have to change what they do because you've got this this new crew of people coming through showing you a different way to view the game, and, and people are willing to pay for it. And if you're not going to provide a, a product that people are willing to pay for, they'll find a way to get it for free. So they'd better jump on board or they're going to work out, holy crap, why is no one subscribing to whatever it is we provide? I'll probably because the product you're offering is shit. So if they don't start, if the media doesn't start moving, they'll find out of the hip pocket. Yeah, but it is getting better as time goes on. It's better than it used to be. Mm. But you still see these extreme examples. Yeah. Which is ridiculous. So, um, I guess we'll, 
briefly talk a little Tampa, and then we'll get into our uh, trade target section of the podcast. Um, Iserman says, not trading Stamkos. So, you know, he's either going all in this year for a cup run or really sure that they're going to resign him. So he has a full no movement clause that kicked in this year. And it's one of those things where I think he needed to be super aggressive before the summer or right as soon as uh, they exited the Stanley Cup final. They should have made their best offer, and that should have been that. I don't don't know. I don't know how they can get themselves into this situation. It's... The, the, particularly when it, it came out, it came out really early publicly this year that Stamkos wasn't particularly happy with Cooper, but that dragged on from the previous year that he wasn't particularly happy, and everyone sort of said, "Well, you can put up with it when you're winning, and and, and when you you got a chance to to make the Stanley Cup, it's like you don't you don't have to like your coach, you just have to be able to coexist." But it, it feels as though that that coexistence part of that relationship has died off. So he has, I don't think he has any reason to stay. If he's been told we're going to go with you the rest of the way and what happens happens at the end of the year, Stamkos is just like, perfect. I win a Stanley Cup with Tampa and I can choose to sign or if we lose, I'll just go somewhere else. Like, asset management, interesting. Yeah, and and it's not easy to go into the year, you know, giving your your best offer and then kind of saying, all right, well, I guess we're going to try to trade you before that clause kicks in. It's it's a cold blooded business, though. I, I think have I think to be. I think that's how I would have handled that, um, and I don't think that's coming from a hindsight perspective. You just can't let a high ticket item like that. steal all the leverage. I mean, if you're going to run it like uh, players as assets, which, again, very cold-blooded. Have to, though? You you, you kind of have to do it that way. And I personally think he's going to sign elsewhere. Yeah, you said Nashville. You'd be in Nashville. Yeah, I, I, I do keep saying that, don't I? <laughs> Probably won't go there, but I still think that would be, um, come on, Stamkos, Johansson, and then Stamkos eventually pops over to a wing. I'd rather have Stamkos signed for seven years, big money, than that that godforsaken Shea Weber contract. (laughs) (laughs) Jesus. The, the, the thing that I find interesting here with, with, with Tampa, right, is that say they put down an offer to him and they go, no, you're asking too much. We can't deal with the salary structure. We've got plan moving forward. You're going to have to walk, right? The argument that you – I love it when you bring this up. If you trade Malkin, you don't have Evgeny Malkin. <laughs> now, if you let Stamkos walk, no matter how good everyone else on the roster you might think he is, you don't have Steven Stamkos. You've got to fill that production, whether you, you you fill it Moneyball style with a whole heap of players that accumulate to the same 
counting stat numbers as he comes up with, or you try to find someone that, that delivers the same uh, dynamic aspects that Stamkos has, you still don't have Stephen Stamkos. So you're still going to have to fill that cap hole and production hole with someone else. What? You can't let that move on for nothing. If they're going to. I can't I can't see how it changes I can't see Stamkos getting to the end of the year and then going, Yeah, okay, trade my rights almost so you get a draft pick. Why? Okay. Um question. I can't really think of anything off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. What's the highest profile player that was just allowed to walk like this? Oh, Jesus. That's a good question. Is he the highest uh, caliber player that, I mean, it hasn't happened yet, but if he were to walk, would, is he the the ceiling for this conversation? Um, did Jeremy Roenick walk from Chicago? No, I think he was traded to Phoenix. He was traded. There you go. I'm pretty sure. That was, that was a massive contract dispute between those two guys. I couldn't remember how that works. So that's, that's the thing. Like, you get there and you try and come up with things. But, he like, Roenick was past his, his prime when you, you get a chance to look back on that in hindsight. He was traded. Stamkos, he was, was he? Oh, he's, he's, like, smack bang on the very tail end of that peak of, of performance. So I get why Tampa might be a little gun-shy in forking out coin for him because you don't know how steep that slope off the peak is going to be. Is it going to be like Joe Thornton where it's almost flatlined? Or is it going to be in a situation which is Patrick Marlowe, which this, the slope wasn't particularly steep at the start, but it's sort of starting to tail off on the poor guy. So... Do you want to be paying that top dollar stuff for a guy when he's on that big slide? So I get why Tampa's reluctant to fork out, you know, the max sort of contract like LA did for Kopitar, but they've not managed this well at all in, in actually being able to get something back for him. No, that's a tough loss too. I've always said that losing Stamkos it, um, or moving on from him wouldn't – few teams could – handle it and i think tampa was one of them but that was under the assumption that they were going to get proper value back in a trade you, that you did put you had that asterisk on that i remember when we were talking about it yeah because i really didn't think it was going to get to the point of past trade deadline i thought we'd yeah. see an extension or a trade but you know maybe we see an extension i i just don't i don't see it right now i also don't see the toronto thing either but no, you, you you laid out some really good reasons last week in, in regards to that. What about when Scott Niedermeyer left New Jersey? Okay, now we're talking. Good memory. Uh, a little bit different in the sense that coming off a, a lockout, so I don't know if his contract actually expired the 0304 and he was under contract 0405 and because uh, he yeah, didn't play. Yeah, and there was also the um, fact that you know he he left to play with his brother. I mean that doesn't change it from New Jersey's perspective of not trading him. Like, that that question you put is bugging me now. I am trying to see if there is anyone else in recent memory 
that just walked. And I just, I can't, I just can't think of anyone off the top Niedermeyer of my head. Is really good though. That's a really good one. I would not have thought of that. <laughs> now I'm typing in Timu Solani because I can't remember what. Yeah, how, how he left how, how, the Ducks. I think he got traded. Um, from the Ducks to the Sharks, right? Yeah, maybe. Yeah, he got traded there. Then he declined an option. Played that one year in Colorado. Which was weird. That Colorado team actually wasn't good. That was the Globetrotter year, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Um, but that was, again, the, the year before the lockout. And then he went back to Anaheim afterwards. Yeah. So yeah. Niedermeyer. Niedermeyer is the, the, the one I can think of. Like, Rob Blake got traded from L.A. Did Lindros get traded? Actually, I don't know. But he was... His quality of play had suffered greatly from the concussions. So it wasn't... Steven Stamkos is still very, very good. Yeah. As was Niedermeyer, for that matter. You know, considering he did win a con Smythe after that move. Yeah. <laughs> no, I think we're just talking about classic retirements, not actually switching of teams. Oh, I know. I know the last one. Yeah. Sundin when he boned the Leafs. Yeah, but he wasn't – this is the, – the difference with that is that Sundin was more towards the tail end of his awesomeness. Like, you know what I mean? Like, he was at the, the twilight, whereas Stamkos, the, the sun's only just coming down from noon. You know what I mean? No, but Sundin was still really good, even in his true. later years. And, yeah, that's true. But, but to the team's credit, they wanted to trade him. And he screwed them, in yeah. my opinion. Oh, oh, yeah. I want to yeah. be a Leaf. I want to be a Leaf. Oh, by the way, I'm going to just um, play these two months out and then leave anyway so you can't get anything. And it's like, yeah. well, dude, come on. <laughs> Why couldn't you just go? It's two months. Oh, well. Speaking of trades. Yeah. <laughs> All right, where do we start? Yeah, good. Get me off this wormhole. Um, oh, Jesus. Uh, how about we? How about we start this with this? In that, who who do you think? Sh- who do you think shouldn't be? Who do you think should be a seller? Is probably the better way to put it. Because there are a lot of teams, like I said before the podcast, there are a lot of teams that I think they think that they're buyers, or at least the media in that market thinks that they're buyers. When in reality. They should just put a foot on it this year, trade away, you know, expendable assets, get back some young, young prospects or draft picks, and build from there. Who should be sellers? Yes. Uh, Buffalo, with whatever veteran stuff they have, like a Jamie yep. McGinn. Uh, Calgary with uh, Hudler and Russell. Yep. Carolina with Eric Stahl. Yep. 
even though they're playing really well, they're kind of a team that nobody's paying attention to. But it's not yes. about this year. And if you've got Cam Ward, he's going to fail you when you need him to get you into a playoff series, and he's going to lose those couple of games at the end of the year, and you're going to be ninth looking in. Um, I'm just trying to... I think New Jersey should be a seller. Yeah, but the guy that we think they should sell, they should have sold earlier. <laughs> They're not going to do that now. No, I, uh, Stepniak would be a guy that they could probably get yeah. a little bit for. Uh, Arizona. Toronto yep. Toronto is going to be a seller. Mm-hmm. Vancouver. Yep. And Winnipeg. You see, to the selling list, I would add... I would add... Uh, Columbus should try and sell. Yeah, I looked at them. What are they selling, though? Yeah, I didn't necessarily say anyone would want what they're going to give. Just they should try and sell. Uh, uh, they're, they're one UFA. Well, they have two. Renee Bork and Justin Falk, and not the good one. <laughs> um, <laughs> so... if I, was, if I, was Ottawa, I would be selling if I was Ottawa as well, but they hitched themselves to the we want to make that eighth playoff spot. Because well, a second wild card spot because they threw that money in there for for North. Like it's just I don't know. They kind of sold in a weird way. That's true. Yeah, it's it's a good point. Mont- Montreal should just tank the rest of the year, get rid of whatever sellable assets they have, prime themselves to be terrible, and then have one of those. Um, San Antonio Spurs sort of comebacks. They get everyone back on the roster. They've got some really good young talent that comes in, and off they go. They really only have Dale Weiss. Yeah, as far as rentals are concerned. Yeah. Or Tom Gilbert, another option. Hasn't been playing as well as he did uh, in Edmonton. Right? Edmonton? Not Am off, I remembering that correctly? Yes, that's right. Not often you can say that. But he's not. I looked at his underlying numbers for this year, and they, they weren't very good. Um. So, do we want to kind of highlight some fools gold? Go for it. Fool me up, man. I think the top top guy on this list is uh, Mikel Bodker of Arizona. He certainly gets talked about on uh, some of these national shows and and just in general on the internet is a a top six winger who's having a career year and you look through everything and i i just don't see it i don't see it so what is this is one of those things where you wrote a really good piece uh, about bodiker and saying steer clear don't for pittsburgh you know don't don't try and bring him on board but I watch him, and it, it's it's for me. It was a really, really good example of when you see him play. I like what he does. I can see why people like what he brings, but there's no value to that. Like it's one thing to to look good, but give you no production. And it, it, once again, it's that it, it's that um, recency bias and that that aesthetic bias that the players can can get away with at times. Um, 
yeah, it's not there. If he doesn't, if he doesn't actually get you points, he doesn't offer you anything else when he's not doing that. And it's like, do you really want to give up an asset for a player with that type of production? Probably not. Um, just to point out some things, he's he is having um, from from a point standpoint, he's having a very good year. He's got 13 goals and 38 points, which is pretty pretty darn good in 57 games. Um, I don't want to take that away from him. But 18 of them are on the power play, so... He's not going to get that time in Pittsburgh. My article was written from a Pittsburgh perspective. Listen, you can't trade for a top six winger that you don't really have plans for a number one power play. You, the, the cost to acquire based on perceived value, is going to be higher than it should be. And you're not going to utilize the player the same way he's being utilized to get these results. So you got to really look at that and, and ask yourself, am I giving this guy top power play minutes? Because if the answer is no, I don't care what team you are, you need to not do that. So yeah. unless you're going to give that top power play minutes in and the top six even strength roll, it's not good business, and his points per 60 this year at even strength is 1.02, which is just pitiful. That's not top six stuff. That's that's barely – that's probably below fourth-line average stuff. He's a left winger. I think he plays hey, look, right, though. I don't know. I the Ottawa Senators keep saying they're out for a winger. It would not surprise me. If he ends up there, if they if they get their nose even close enough to a sniff of getting to that wild card in the next couple of days, we've got, we've got eight day, nine days until until deadline day. If they go on a little bit of a run and win a few games, get themselves closer to the the second wild card spot, they could do something like that. Like you said, for the goal. <laughs> but he's. Like Bodker, 44.5 score adjusted Fenwick this year. Now, mind you, he plays for Arizona, who is a miserable possession team. So when you take a raw number like that... Hey, what's his relative? No. Exactly. So 44.5, terrible. He's on a bad possession team. We'll take that into consideration. He's negative 1.83% relative. So he's he's on the bottom half of a really shitty possession team. He's one of the contributors of dragging it down. <laughs> yeah, mildly dragging it down, but let's be honest here. The idea of acquiring him is you're getting some really good top six winger, and that is, you're, you're really not. And, and I looked at another guy who's on that team, and Kyle Chipchura, who, you know, You just want him for that name, really. That's all you want him for. He's got 1.05 points per 60 at even strength this year, which is higher than Bodker. A 42.6 score adjusted Fenwick and minus 3.7% on the relative uh, scale. Um, you could probably trade Kyle Chipchura for some random minor leaguer and get the same even strength pr production as Michael Bodker and, or Mikel. I'm not really sure how to pronounce that first name, but you're going to pay a lot more for him. He's also a hell of a lot cheaper on the cap anyway, so you can fit him in. If you're a tight cap team looking to add something skill depth-wise, they're the sorts of ones you want to go after, not get dazzled by the 
Like, if you just do that simple breakdown of, of, of Bodka's um, points, where he gets them, even strength to special teams, if you're a team like Chicago and, or LA and you go to, to, to bring him in to your team, all those, all those special team points go because he's not going to make the roster. He's not going to get the minutes that he needs to produce like that. That's the... That's, and that's that's a real simple breakdown of analysis on that. Now, if you're a team that's going to give him those power play minutes, then, you know, it makes a lot more sense for you. I would still argue there are better value options out there. Yeah, but it, he, beca- he becomes better value because he gets those minutes. I get what you mean. Yeah. So he'll be traded. It'll be interesting to see the eventual price tag and where he ends up, and it'll also be interesting to, to right away, the team he goes to, you can be like, is he going to get those minutes or not? Like, if it's a Chicago, no, like you mentioned. Uh, if it's, I don't know, let's see, what playoff teams would have him on something like that? Maybe a Nashville? Yeah, would Nashville Colorado looking for a winger? And that Colorado ain't making the playoffs. Give me a break. Hey, they're in at the moment. Uh probably eat my words on that, but the, I don't see it. I, I I don't want them to because I don't. I think it's a free pass for whoever plays them in the first round, and I just think that sucks. But you know, I'm not seeing any teams that have open first power play minutes. No, uh, Anaheim. They are looking for that one, one other winger, On aren't the they? Power play though, and that's you just go. Getzlaff and Perrier. They don't have a better winger. Like Perron's kicking ass right now. Then that's probably solved, answered that question. Then <laughs> you know what I mean. Chicago, like, no. Dallas, nope, nope. Detroit, if they make no. no. Uh, Florida, probably not. You're not kicking Yager off. Nope. Even when I said Colorado and you said they're not going to make the playoffs, that's still a no. You think about the the assets they have. Yeah, McKinnon, Duchesne, and Aginla. Yeah, so he's not getting getting number one power play minutes there. Orlando. So. Yeah, good point. Nashville, maybe. You got Neil, Johansson, and Forsberg. Forsberg. It depends on if um, it's a maybe, depending on if they use a, a D-man. But they're at the point, but they're deep on defensemen. Islanders? Yeah. Eh, don't think so. Ocposo maybe will fall into that. Uh, conversation from earlier. If they don't extend him and he walks. Ah, oh, Jesus. I'd actually he makes, makes, makes 2.8 and he's going to at least probably double that. But Rangers, I... no. Pittsburgh, definitely not. Sharks, Tampa, definitely no. Uh, Blues, no. Tampa, no. Capitals, 
their power play is already ridiculous. So <laughs> anybody who acquires him is really playing with some fire. Because you've got to give him the minutes to get the points. Like that's the that's the other scenario there. And you, you also, if you go and, and, and put him in a, a top six role, if he's already dragging down ever so slightly a bad possession team, is he going to drag down the top six line mates that you hand him? So it's the it's it, it was a really good really good example you had there of regards to just be careful when you get to guys like these. I think Chris Russell's the defense version of it. Like he's not very good. So if Calgary you know, Calgary may extend him, which I think would be a mistake. They should trade him, get something from um somebody gullible and do it that way uh, Roman Pollock for Toronto same thing I get worried in situations like this because you go that's the sort of trade that Rutherford would make a Russell trade to fill out the depth on the back end yeah, we'll see. He's he's a real wild card. I can't predict what <laughs> what he'll do at the deadline. Or how late it will happen. <laughs> that Depray Lovejoy trade was like post three PM deadline. Yeah, it was too. But there are some good guys out there. Might cost a bit to get, but um I think a so guy what, like what's... uh sorry. No, no, I was going to say, like you, like you said, might cost a bit to get. I've read in a few different places the general managers are not giving up first-round draft picks for rentals. So uh, that's the thing for me. It's like if that's going to be the deciding factor, are we going to start seeing two third rounds or two second rounds or a second and a third go? Or like how is this going to, to play out? Or are just players not going to move because general managers just go, no, I want my draft picks. Um, don't tell me, show me. I'll believe it when I see it. Yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> uh, but a good target that will probably, you know, you'll have to give up a little bit. A guy like Yuri Hudler in uh, Calgary, his even strength numbers, 2.16 points per 60. Now you're talking about a legitimate top six winger. Not only that, 2.16 is above... Um, first line level. Anything 2.0 or above. So, and people are saying he's having an off year. Well, you can look at even strength pr- production and know that you're going to get a guy that can can contribute some tangible offense to your team, and not have to use the crutch of a power play to do so. So if you're going to get uh-huh. into a Bodker versus Hudler, I bet they both go for similar assets. At least that's but you're kind get of where I am. Yeah, yeah. I, I do believe so. But how how different is the perception of both of them? I don't think there's in the common perception. I bet you they're both kind of looked at relatively similarly. Yeah, I don't. That's just it. Just seems silly. Thirty-two points in forty-nine games. So he's missed, he's missed a couple of games. Um, he's got 23 even strength points on the year, which is pretty good. 
So 23 out of 49, it's not bad. I wonder whether his minutes have been cut. He's just not playing as often. That's why I like using the rate stats. Yeah, therefore his points per is still the same, but his points per minute is still the same, but obviously his points per game drops because he's not on the ice as often. Correct. Barker's getting just tons of minutes. Once again, really good example of how if you don't look further into the numbers, they can mislead you and you've got no idea what's going on. Pretty much. And and all this stuff is... I'm just a guy on a a desktop computer right now looking this up live while we do the podcast. So it's not... You just got to know where to go. Usually... uh, this is why we're on ice. While we have it, and um, while we have it, yeah. hockey analysis is is where I usually go for my rate stats for points per sixty, because it's just a, a nice, easy interface, uh, loads quick, and easy to read. But it's not hard to look this stuff up. I really don't believe it is, and I don't think a lot of it's all that complicated either. No, it is just taking the time, like you've said to me on numerous occasions. Just take the time and read it. It's not rocket science. And you're right, it's not. I mean, some of the stuff out there, decorsey and that, I, I had to read into that for a little bit. That stuff's a, a lot more in-depth and how they come to that. And I wanted to fully understand how those numbers come about I before I actually started using them so I could kind of know what I was getting myself into with that kind of stuff. But, well, you've still got to know what the number means. <laughs> no, but I, you know, I, I'm, I'm the writer. I need to do my homework, and then somehow I have to communicate that in a way that's not boring and too over the top for a casual reader to kind of be like, oh, okay, that makes sense. I have the general idea of it, and and that works. Yeah. Yeah. Um. So you got Hudler who I think would be a good target if Calgary were to move him. I think Andrew Ladd is a a very good player still right now. Uh, My concerns with him are who gives him his next contract. But if you were to to pay for a rental player, he's as good as there are this year. No argument there. But just don't give What's him that it? extension, that, that six by six. That seems like it's just a brutal idea. That that four four fits like into a lot of cap situations towards the end of the year, you know what I mean? Like there are gonna be teams that are um, pushing for a cup run that he will he will fit in for. But you're right, that second contract is the one that you, you start to get worried about. And I don't blame the Jets for for choosing Bufflin over him. No, that's true. Top quality defenseman, a a higher value than a a winger. Unless you're the elite of the elite, and and Ladd is is not the elite of the elite. No, he's very good, though, but he's already 30. He plays the style he does. We, We all know where this is going. Yep. Like, Chris Kunitz has taken a lot of flack now. 
but he's he did really well to play as well as he did at age 35 yeah Yeah, i believe that was his olympic year no maybe 34 ish he's 36 right now it's that it's that cliff that's the problem you just don't know when that cliff is going to hit and it as as we can see like there are some players that the cliff just doesn't seem to happen and they get to walk away at their own call. They're usually like players that were the elite of the elite. Um, rarely do you get a situation where I think Matt Cullen's decline has been really flat. You know what I mean? Like he is what he is and he's fallen off what he was from his peak. But the only reason he's still in the league at 39 is he can still do stuff. He's not a useless scrub. And so he hasn't had that fall off the cliff moment that happened to to Dupuy and um, has started to happen to to Kunitz. So that's the gamble you've got to try and make when going through all the numbers that you and I like to use and and using scouts and, and using hockey intuition is at what point did that one particular player is their production going to cliff and just disappear? And that's always the hard part you're trying to do. And the, the the player is always trying to get the deal one year past that cliff. Or two or three. And if you can be that good, then yeah, by all means. Well, actually, no, you don't, I don't reckon you want it to be two or three past that cliff because you don't want to be playing for that money when you're playing so badly. Surely there's enough competitive spirit inside you that you don't want it to just disappear on you. You know what I mean? Like, it would be hell being Rob Scuderi at the moment. <laughs> I was just going to bring him up. <laughs> Seriously. Beat like me you to get it. There and you're, you're getting paid, but you're crap at what you do. Like, that can't be a fun day. That can't be a fun day at the office every day, rocking up, knowing that you're bad at what you do. Or having people politely walk around the fact that you're bad at what you do. Like, that cannot be fun. Yeah, I saw a picture of him in the runway for the Ice Hogs tonight. And it's just, you know, it's a big drop-off. It is. Actually, I'll, I'll probably ask this, but I'll, I'll ask you again. If he was getting paid the league minimum, would he still be in the league? Um, if someone were to sign him over this past summer? Like, when is so the say, signing happening? So, say Pittsburgh signed him three years ago to a league minimum deal of four years, right? Would a team, would he be useful on Buffalo? No, he's not useful anywhere. Okay. The, the reason I was asking that was that there comes a point, I think in contract negotiations where I think managers are going to have to start working out. Is this going to cost this guy his job in the league full stop? If he falls off to a certain point. And Skidari's play fell off well before we got to, to, to this aspect. So he was never really worth that cap hit that he was on. So I just wonder whether we get to... Like, Matt Cullen would be out of the league if he was demanding two mil a year, right? I think so. But he's, negoti- he's negotiating contracts that are the league minimum. And that's what keeps him playing. So there's going to be a point here where some of these... Um, Managers of players are going to have to work out 
with the player themselves. They're going to say, do you want to be here for a short time but a really, really good amount of money or do you want to extend your career because you love the sport so long, get paid a little bit less on the, at the time, but over the long run you'll end up getting paid more. So I'll be interested to see how this all stacks out in the next 10 years. I think it's already started. Um, well, I suppose Boston's contract would be a good example of that transition, wouldn't it? No, I think, I, I, I mean more so, you see a lot of more PTO contracts to guys that you probably shouldn't really have to go through that. Well, you, you used the Stepniak example last week. It's a good one. Yeah, I mean, that guy really needed one of those. So you're starting to already see it. Be interesting to see what he gets in the offseason. Whether he ends up, yeah, doing the same thing again, the poor bastard. (laughs) Nah, I don't think that's possible. He's having a really good year. No, I just meant whether he'll end up signing a one-year deal again or whether he'll get two years. I think he'll get two based off his season so far this year. You hope so. He's got 40 points. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It's not like he's he's on a nothing deal and he's given nothing. He's on a nothing deal and he's given a lot. Like, he's produced. I don't know what the Stepniak wants to say. Go, what else do I have to do here to get a second year? You know, and it's fair to say that his is probably a little bit power play based as well. Because I'm looking at his 1.7 points per 60. Eh. He's only got 12 power play points, so he must be just getting a ton of ice and not, um, you know, he's getting insane minutes then. So I guess oh, you'd yeah, have to yeah. be a little bit careful. If you're not going to give him ridiculous minutes, he's not going to put up that point total, but you can look at the rate of 1.7 and be like, you know what? That's pretty good for a guy making under a million dollars. I'd like to have that. Yeah. Just give it to him for two years. He's 33, so that might go against him as well. Yep, certainly um, certainly getting up there. Yeah, he's getting 18 minutes, 19 minutes a game. That's a lot. For a forward. It is. Any forward, really. Except Sid. Apparently he played 27 minutes against... Uh, what was their last loss? Was that the Florida loss? Yeah, maybe it was. 27 was minutes. Jesus. That's a lot. Um, well, they have to ride him until, until Gino Mashiro gets back. Whenever that is, but he he's missing the weekend. He'll probably be back at the beginning of next week, which is great for my entertainment value. <laughs> um, I suppose if we're going to talk trade folk, Eric Stahl's got to be brought up. And they have to trade him, right? I mean... I think Carolina is an underappreciated team, and they, yeah, may, they may make a, a legitimate run towards a playoff berth, but, you know, I think it's time that, I think it's good for both franchise and player if they, if they parted ways, and for Carolina, 
they're not going to keep a guy in anticipation of a legitimate cup run like the Stamkos thing in Tampa Bay. I mean, if nothing else about Stamkos' situation, keeping him, they have a legitimate chance at winning the Stanley Cup. Yeah, you cannot correct. you cannot say that about Carolina. So they need to no. get rid of Eric Stahl. Um, he needs to start playing better from a, a tangible offense standpoint. Because possession-wise, he's still very, very good. Has he got Chris Kunitz's disease? No, I don't think I don't think it's quite that bad. But. You know, he's not a 1.28 points per 60. That's not good. Yeah. His brother Jordan's right behind him at 1.24. But Jordan's not known for that side of his game. Yeah, he's to do that. It's it's interesting. There are times where you you look at Eric Stoll in Carolina and you wonder whether, like you said, just getting out of there and playing somewhere else in something completely different would re-energize, you know, what was a really dynamic and dominant player. So if you're going to trade for him, that's what you're banking on. You're banking on getting, uh, uh, hopefully, a a, a, a 28-year-old version of Eric Stahl for a, a couple of months, and then you worry about it after that. But if I'm Carolina, you, you, you can't, you can't keep him to try and make the playoff run because if you don't make the playoff run, there's a very good chance he might just go somewhere else and sign for a couple of years. At least when, if you get rid of him now, you're going to get an asset back for him. And who knows, he may come back and sign with you. Nah, he may I, get dropped I would back. part ways, and he should too. I wouldn't, I, I wouldn't sign him. In Carolina's shoes, I would move on. Ron Francis seems to have a big picture... Um, idea with this stuff, so I think he'll. I think he'll actually have that in mind during this deadline, and I think Chris Versteeg's another guy having a very good season. It does show you how well they've been coached to get them as close to the playoffs as they currently are. They're an underrated team. That, they just don't have a lot that, of pizzazz. No, they don't have anything to, anyone to finish. That that's probably their their biggest problem. The the, the the roster thins out too quickly, depth wise, um, up front to finish off the good work that a lot of that young defense do quite well. Like they've, it would also help if they had a, a one of the two goalkeepers they had could actually consistently make a save. I thought Eddie Lack would be better than he's been. Um, and Ken Ward has sucked as much as I thought he would, unless he plays Pittsburgh for some unknown reason. Yeah, that's, um, that's something, isn't it? Yeah, his save percentage against Pittsburgh is higher than any other team in the league, I think. It's just hilarious. But you, you get there and, and look at at Carolina, and just to have them fall apart at the end of the year and, and get a top-five pick would be great for them. They could really set themselves up moving forward. Yeah, I think they between Eric Stalin and Christopher Stieg, they have to do something there. Keep the big picture in get, mind. Keep building. So, would you keep Riley Nash and Nathan Gerby? 
Well, I I wasn't assuming anybody wanted him. Who knows? This is the problem nowadays. I just don't know what's going to happen. There's just no rhyme or reason at times with, you know, good trades for both teams and then terrible trades for a team. It's just... Uh, it's just so hard to, to work out. Because, you know, you and I have a particular thought process in regards to what we value as a hockey player, and then you, you get decisions made in regards to, like, Rob Scuderi getting traded. I just can't believe that actually happened. And then you look at Dion Phaneuf getting moved, and then the reasons given, presented to us from Murray, why they got Phaneuf, and you go... That can't be the only reason you did it. Like you, there's got to be more to this than just grit, determination, and leadership. Honestly, well, you know, it's tough to know what's the thought processes of each front office. I think you, and you can break it down even further. There, there are probably front offices that are on the ball, kind of buy into the newer stuff, but obviously see it different than me and you at times or even me and you have our difference of opinions on yeah. things you can buy into the the new wave of stuff but also do it differently but that applies to also the guys or front offices that don't buy into any of this between that group they all do it a little bit differently and it's just it's you know, it's it's tough when you're on the outside looking in at times and trying to figure out the actual rationale. Unless they explicitly lay it out, how can you really... And no one's going to do that, of course. Yeah. So we can, well, we're, look, we're left to guess. Carolina won 5-2 against San Jose tonight. Like, they are two points out of the Underrated. last wild cards. They may get it. They have like two more games, I get that, but still. Um, yeah, so Stahl, Versteeg, gotta go. Um, I think Verbata and Vancouver, they could find somebody if they what? wanted to. What do you reckon about Hamhoos? Yeah, it was, uh, that's kind of why I, I went in that Vancouver direction. I think Hamus is a guy they they should move as well. I think he still has no trade abilities. Well, the other per- the the whole speaking of no trade, it's like you know. I know where you're going with this. Suggestions were made about they, Burrows, yeah. No, I wasn't thinking Burrows. I was thinking if the Deans could act like adults and not have to be traded to the same spot. <laughs> That would look so weird if they weren't playing next to each other, though. You, I agree with your sentiment, but that would just be weird. <laughs> That's such a tough thing. The Sedins have it great. They they play in one of the most amazing cities. They've had tremendous success. They obviously, um, playing together, family, all that stuff. But Vancouver's in such the wrong part of a rebuild the stagnant whatever you want to call it the Sedins on that team don't make sense anymore no that's a good point actually 
But what do you do? Who, who has fourteen million and the assets necessary to take them off their hands? And no, the, and the destination where they both want. If if either of those two men went, I actually want to have another crack at winning the Stanley Cup before I hang up the skates. They are going to have to separate because it's not going to work otherwise. It just it can't. You're right. Everything you just said then is exactly why they're screwed in regards to being shipped away from Vancouver together to a team that might win. Nashville. <laughs> Everybody's going to Nashville. Trade Weber. I don't know. I'm just trying to figure out teams that have cap space. <laughs> Jim Benning probably would love Weber. But Ham use will be an interesting one for them. Yeah. He'll help. He still is a good player. I did a write-up on him a few weeks ago and looked into how he was playing. And and while there, I think there was mild decline. I mean, that's clearly age-related at this point. Under, understandably so. But it wasn't um, wasn't quite a Christian Ehrhoff decline. So yeah, yeah. My guy Ehrhoff, he's <laughs> I don't think he's a liability, but he's not where um, it's not where he was. No, no. Is there, is there anyone else in particular? Like, I su- you get there, you look at it this way, you go, Anaheim feel that they need to get another winger. You get there and who else is there? Like, Nashville needs something else up front. Chicago seem to think that they want another defenseman. Dallas... I don't think Dallas should touch their roster. They should just stick with what they've got and go, to be honest. What does St. Louis do with Bacchus? Yeah, that's... Because um... that's the Ocposo situation again. It's like... Not quite. I think he's in that Andrew Ladd category. But I think Andrew Ladd's better. And he's their captain. It's like yeah. if they if they could manage to move him at the deadline and not be forced to visit re-signing him. You know what I mean? Like they could know. really screw themselves. Is Doug Armstrong the guy that'll do the the right thing? Yeah, you just don't know. I look at Oshi for Brower, and I just. Think no. <laughs> I, I, I just, I don't. Yeah, back. David Beck is just terrible now, for for what perception used to be. Still, still second line level at even strength point production, but his uh, shot generation is only third line level. His shot suppression, which by the way, isn't he known to be tough, gritty, defensive? He's below. What fourth, is it? Below fourth line level. Jesus. So his overall possession's fourth line level. 
And his goal generation is barely like his goal differential relative to his teammates. Yeah. Is barely sniffing the third line level. So a guy with high perception again, but not quite great actual value. Yeah. They should move him, and they'd be wise to do so. And think about more bigger picture. Because he's not part of that, like, Tarasenko revitalization. St. Louis actually has some interesting younger forwards coming up. I think Barbashev, uh, isn't Fabry up with them now? Yeah, and consistently playing well. Schwartz is up there. Who, who's he's back for, after being injured? But he's he's due for uh, more money. Uh, Tyratty, I used to keep tabs on him. I haven't really done so much with that lately. Kind of, I'm gonna look him up quick and see how his points are. Yeah, five points, eleven games. Yeah. St. Louis, interesting. They should have an eye on the big, big picture. Yeah, but how many general managers think outside of their contract bubble? I know. I know. All right. That's, that's the, you know, it's all right for us fans to go, oh, you got to think of the future. We want to have a good team to watch in five years' time. But they're not worried about five years. They're looking at the now because their contracts are only two or three years long. I could see. All right. St. Louis and Tampa. David Beck seems like a guy that Iserman would want for a playoff run. Jonathan Druin, St. Louis has been tied to that. Obviously, the salary is not going to measure up. So you have to figure out a way to get some more salary. But I could see St. Louis shipping one of their forward prospects along with Bacchus for maybe Druin and um, Braden Coburn. Something like that. Yeah, that sounds doable. I don't know. Because it's the salary that you need to try and balance. Here I am, speculating, making shit up. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> you, that's a tough part. You try and find these fits. I, I'm just looking through random rosters right now, and I see, I think, I personally think Bacchus needs to be traded. I think Tampa needs to eventually move Druin. I've, I know that St. Louis is interested in Druin. Coburn and, and Backies make about the same amount of money, then you flip prospect for prospect, and maybe. I don't know. You called the sharp trade, didn't you, to Dallas? I get I get to call some trades on this damn show. Yeah, but you're the one you're trying to concoct here is really hard, man. Like, I only said he'll go to Dallas. I didn't say what would go back. <laughs> this is very fair. <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yeah, 4.5 David Backus yeah. makes the no, same right. 4.5 as Coburn. Flip forward yeah, prospects and pending UFAs, boom, deal, done. It works. It's just you get there and, and the whole 
the Shea Weber thing is like, we're not going to trade our captain, right? That's why they did what they did. They went out of their way to make sure they kept their captain for the market. He's more than a captain there, though. Yes, no, no, no. That's the thing. David Backus, as far as I can tell, has that same more than a captain mm, thing in St. Louis. Nah. nah. No? No. Shea okay. Weber's the first star of a southern market. St. Louis has had plenty of players better than oh Mackie. okay yeah you go the historical thing yeah i get what you mean yeah you're right that's the big difference like weber is the original guy for that franchise you're right he is nashville you really good point there and yeah he's definitely not st louis you good point there with with bacchus i don't know it's just i, I think the proposal you came up with there is pretty solid I'm, no argument with sort of any of that it's just well, I Will think I it's pretty damn solid, too. <laughs> <laughs> Who knows? Just throwing it out there. Um, what? Hell not. I guess there are just a few more things, and then we'll wrap this up, I suppose. I think Toronto's a team to watch, obviously. They have a ton of pending UFAs by design. PA Parento's having a good year. Brad Boy's an underrated uh, top six depth option. He's always uh, He's always got decent numbers with the minutes that he's given he makes 700 thou that's that seems like a smart target i i would argue that i saw pierre lebrun mentioning bodker with pittsburgh and i'm just like why why do that just just go for brad boys with brad boys leads the maple leafs in points per 60 at 1.82 if you're if you're a Toronto Maple Leaf fan and you've got, because you're right, they've set themselves up to get rid of a lot of these players, right? What, how many prospects and, and draft picks are you, are you, would you be happy with to come back and say, you know what, we did really well out of this trade deadline? Like, if you go, boys, PA Parento, and, you know, Pollack's apparently being fished around out there as well. You've got those three guys. Another one of the Doug you... Murray options. Yeah. Not so, quite that bad, but yeah. I, I, you're not going to get three first-round draft picks back for all of those three guys, right? If you get one first-round draft pick, a middling prospect, and a second-round draft pick for all of that, as a Toronto Maple Leaf fan, you probably should be happy with that. Don't expect to get two first-rounders back. Mm-hmm. And if you do, freaking run to the bank. Even if it's just a, a couple third and fourth rounders, it's it's good business because the the draft literally is a lottery, not in the top end draft lottery like McDavid Eichel thing. But you know, the more you play, the more chances you have to win. And if they keep adding those draft picks, the chances of hitting on some of these later rounds is better. Yeah, the more you, the more you get, the more you get. Yeah. So, I actually think um, I wrote this the other day for Hockey Buzz was Plotnikov or somebody like uh, oh who was it Peter Holland, kind of low level bottom six folk, similar price range for one another. Pittsburgh wants more speed. Holland has a little bit of speed. Plotnikov's kind of, you know, he's not fleet of foot. He's got good underlying possession numbers. He, they're both RFAs. Hey, 
Put him in a David Perron environment. Put him in a team that's not quick with their feet. That's the thing. Perron was always that one-eighth of a second out of where he needed to be with Pittsburgh because they were so fast. Put him in an environment where they're, they're a little bit slower and look at him go. And it's the same with – it's the reverse for Haglin. Like, Haglin's not produced the same amount of points as Perron has, but I've liked what Haglin has provided, and, and he's in an environment where speed kills. Like, Pittsburgh want speed. So if you can find an environment for Plotnikov where – Everything's just a little bit slower than what Pittsburgh provides. I think you're going to get him to produce some points as well, besides his good underlying numbers. Yeah, that Perron Haglin trade seems to fit for both squads so far. Pittsburgh carrying obviously a more risk there with. Well, just a substantial amount with that contract. There are more years attached to that where. Oh, good grief. Anaheim was like, all right, this isn't working. We don't want to pay this guy anymore because he's not a good fit. Here you go. We'll take a UFA, whatever. Hey, and, and good work doing that, though. Good work going, we're not just going to stick to it just because we signed it. If it's not working and you can find someone to take it, do the, do the trade. Swallow your pride and go, yeah, well, this doesn't work for us, and get something else that, that you hope will. And I think that was brilliant by Anaheim. Um. Also, Pittsburgh, I think Ian Cole will be on the move. Are you expecting a roster player back or just a draft pick? Um, don't know. I think um, I don't. I don't think they want to pay two point one mil for that for a few more years. Uh, kind of like the Haglin thing. Yeah, we gave it to you, but maybe we shouldn't have. Yeah. I mean, that's not the worst contract in the world, but he's being healthy scratched on a nightly basis. Uh, Clearly that... I guess it boils down to, if you can't play with Chris Letang, or if you drag Letang down, it's like, well, gee, that's pretty hard to do. It is and it's not, though, because Scuderi did a really good job of dragging Letang down as well. He's and like one of the worst Scuderi... players in the league, though. No, I get that. But you're also asking a player that was, was comfortably playing well as a third-pairing guy, again, you know, having third-pairing minutes and was um, was a p- positive possession player, right? Throw him up there against the top-line guys, and he can't do it. He's just, he's just not capable of doing it. And you go, is 2.1 million ask, uh, paying... Is, Paying two point one million too much for a, th- a bottom a bottom pairing guy that has to be sheltered, and you probably go yes. So you're right; they're going to have to move him, but I don't think he's that bad. I just think that they've overpaid him because I I made the assumption that Kyle could have been a second pairing defenseman, and that's probably the assumption that the the management staff made. And then when the structure of the Penguins back six changed so drastically, and they wanted to spread the wealth. They went, well, we'll throw Cole up there and we'll see if he can play top pyramids. And he can't. He just can't compete with, with that quality of talent against him. Um, then whatever confidence he had shattered, and he's a shadow of the player he was last year. So Pittsburgh have to be banking on the fact that Cole, another team will think that Cole will be better in a different environment. He's not unmovable. No, Rob Scuderi proved that he's not unmovable. Well, Scuderi... Yeah, he was moved, but 
had to retain salary, took Daly back, who's got another year at 3.3 mil. So you're talking about Daly at 4.4, which now, don't get me wrong, Pittsburgh is way better off with that, but that 4.4 is still a legitimate cap hit to a player that isn't that. But better than 3.3 to a guy that, you know, should be in the East Coast League. I, What you just did, Danny, is exactly what I normally do, which is you get there and you go, all right, that salary retained in that trade belongs to Trevor Daly, right? So that makes him 4.4. Why can't we just get there and attach it to Oli Mata or to Ben Lovejoy and make Ben Lovejoy in our brains be 2.2 mil? Do you know what I mean? Like well, that's that's how we ultimately that's how we the, all, the ceiling is the ceiling. It doesn't really matter how much you it's allocate. No, to, I mean no. it does, but I know what you're saying with that. If, yeah, if everybody's if, if, fitting if, under the umbrella and nobody's getting wet, then whatever. Correct. That's right. And it's it's one of those things where because when when that trade happened, everyone went, "Oh, it's three point three. No, it's actually four point four. But it's not. It's still just three point three for Trevor Daly. We've just got a cap ceiling." that is a little bit lower now because they're having to retain that 1.125 of, of Scuderi. So I think that's one of those things where hopefully the fans don't start jumping all over Trevor Daly because they think of him as a 4.4 mil hockey player because he's not. And if you do start trying to treat him like one of those, you're going to be bitterly disappointed because he's got some great skill sets that fit this team well, but he has some flaws in his game that can really screw him over as well. Yeah, possession-wise, he's very bad, but Daly uh, produces tangible offense from the back end. And if you have a choice between crappy possession guy who has not a lick of offensive ability versus crappy possession guy who actually has first-line defensive uh, pairing offensive talent at even strength, well, gee, it's really a no-brainer at that point. Yeah. So, good good trade, obviously. Uh, but, you know, Chicago did it for, for money reasons as well. Oh, yeah, there was the cap consideration in it, too. I think, it doesn't uh, seem to matter who they have in their bottom pair in Chicago. They're still awesome. You know what I mean? Yeah. Overall, I don't think um, Pittsburgh should be doing anything crazy. I don't no, think there's I, really I... much to be done there. A lot of their, a lot of their potential big moves should be off season, and I'm, and I'm talking like a flurry, a Hornquist, ideas that, you know, are very polarizing. Yeah. But definitely, certainly not an in-season move. Even if you the, were the, to even consider it off-season. Those are off-season things. The one thing that I think, um, as a Pittsburgh fan, I can be happy with now is that um, this team can, can... I don't know if they can win it, but this team, as it's constructed right now, if they get healthy, can make a run to the Stanley Cup playoffs if they have one of those magical runs. In the East Coast. Like, yeah, why not? Yeah, they can get to the cup final. Whether or not they get decimated or, or just barely lose is up for debate. But 
I would. I definitely didn't say that at the start of the year. Like you get 15 games in, we got 20 games in, and it wasn't looking good. Um, this team has changed its its style of play. It has changed um, its its players to do that as well. And when you start filtering back in guys like Malkin and, and Benino and Fair and, and Bennett, if he ever becomes alive again. Um, <laughs> You, you start to think this team actually could do something, whereas I definitely didn't think that at the, at the quarter pile of the year. Best team outside of Los Angeles general area since the coaching change. 54.1 score adjusted Fenwick, only Anaheim and L.A. better. They're the best team in the Eastern Conference as far as pushing play since the coaching change. And possession had, isn't 100% everything. We know this. Don't need to create that fake straw man. However, <laughs> teams that push possession are clearly set up for better success. Especially when Marc-Andre Fleury's having a good year. You're pushing play. And you got a bunch of AHLers in there right now. You're going to start to get some of the NHL talent back in the lineup healthy. Uh, namely... Evgeny freaking Malkin. <laughs> uh, Nick Benino and Eric Fair haven't had tremendous years, but we also don't have a large sample from them under Sullivan. Phil Kessel has um, been better. And uh, Derek Pouliot's finally up. So Pittsburgh, a team to watch. Cup, eh, don't know. Uh, pain in the ass in the playoffs? Probably. Yeah. Hey, look, it's one of those things where if... If Dallas or St. Louis got to the cup final, right? I would I, I would back Pittsburgh. It was a pretty good chance, you know, like a 50-50, if you know what I mean. Nah, Dallas the smokes them. <laughs> No, I don't reckon they do. Not this time around. They played. They played Dallas when they were playing like crap. Yeah, that's fair. I think. That's I, think fair. I think this iteration. I think this iteration of the Penguins would actually go because the flaws in Dallas's team are the same as in 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 Pittsburgh's. The, the the flaws are similar in in their rosters. It would be a hell of a lot of fun to watch because both teams should try to win rather than try not to lose. But if you get there and they had to play Los Angeles or Chicago, uh, even Nashville. I just think the the skill sets of those two teams don't m mesh well for Pittsburgh to even have a chance. Yeah, it, that's the fascinating part about the coaching change. It has been night and day. Yeah, and yeah, it's just it just it baffles me that Mike Johnson walked away from his coaching philosophy he's held for most of his coaching career. Because he did. He walked away from that and turned this team into something that it's not. And credit to all of the players. They all got on board and did what was asked of them to the point that it cost the coach's job. But they did what was asked of them. Yeah. I believe that to be the case. Look at Sid. Well, yeah. Sid bought in and didn't didn't do well for his point totals, uh, but he's buying into the new guy, and that seems to mesh better with what Sid wants to do. But I, I, I do think Sid stays true to, to
to what's asked of him. Yeah, we've discussed that before. Same argument with Ovechkin. Yeah, precisely. Um, uh, anything else? I think I think we are tapped out. Yeah, I think uh, I think we talked for a while. Yeah, they're getting longer and longer. My drink's empty too. Oh, we should stop then. Definitely, yeah. you can't have you sober. Enough. <laughs> so, <laughs> all right. Well, we've got what nine days until the trade deadline. You know, within those nine days, we're 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 gonna see that St. Louis Tampa Bay deal, right? <laughs> Oh yes, definitely. Yep. So keep exactly your, keep, right. keep your eye out for Druin to St. Louis for you know Bacchus. Fabry and Bacchus and Coburn. Yep, there it is. So we're gonna um, well, we should have a podcast before the trade deadline again. Might even have some we'll get... trades to talk about by then. Yeah. It's just we won't get to one until well after the deadline, which sucks. So we'll see. We'll we'll try and uh, work something out. So all right. Well, that'll do it. Uh, till next time, I'm Ryan Wilson.